Turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 18. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 18. And I just want to say up front, this is of course Team Sunday, and so when you go watch a team play, isn't there normally cheering? Okay, does anybody know what our typical cheer is at church? Maybe you're new to church, you're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. But we do have a cheer, I don't mean like a cheerleading cheer, but we do have something that we do when something's going right, when we're like, oh yeah, I agree with that. You know, just like if your team gets an interception, don't you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, there you go, somebody said it already, they, they spilled the beans, amen, right? That's, that's what we say as Christians, because amen actually just means like, yes, right on. Let's go, maybe is a way of putting it, uh, interpreting it. It means we agree with that, right? So when we see something in church, it's like, oh, yeah, they just said something right there. Like, break my heart for what breaks yours. Amen. Amen to that. And, man, there are things that break God's heart right now in our city, in our country, in our world, and sometimes in our own life. And so when we say that, we say, yes, Lord, please, we want to be like you. We want to know how you see the world. We want to know how you see our neighbors. All right, well, let's stand. We're going to read from the gospel uh, reading here, which is Luke chapter 18. We always stand for the gospel reading, so thank you for for joining me with that. I'm going to be reading from the RSV, um, but you can follow along in whatever translation of the Bible you have there. So notice these words, Luke 18, drop down to verse 9. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus, thank you for your word. We need your Holy Spirit to not only help us understand your word, but to do it. We pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, finally, you know, I came to this, this text earlier this week, and, uh, and I, now I've got two small groups that help me work on my sermon each week, which is great, uh, and so let's, let's just see if the sermons improve, right? <laughs> it's their fault if they don't. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, and we looked at this text, and I thought to myself, finally, we get to a parable that's understandable, like that's easily understood, like you read it one time. I mean, everybody knows what's going on in this parable. Do I need to really spend 20 minutes detailing for you? Like, hey, you probably don't want to pray in the sense of measuring your life to someone else's, right? Like, I thank God that I'm not like, let's not name anybody, but 
Let's not even look to the right or to the left, right? But this parable seems pretty clear-cut, doesn't it? It seems pretty straightforward. And that's kind of a, 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 kind of a reprieve from some of the ones we've had previous, yes? I mean, if you've been with us for anything at the time, there are some of these parables we run into that we're just thinking, what? Gee, what are you? Hang on, what are you talking about here, Jesus? And so this one seems to be fairly straightforward, okay? Um, but before you, I know you can kind of feel kind of an ominous thing, like why start there? Well, because maybe it's straightforward, but maybe there's something here that we often miss too. So let's jump in and just see what exactly the Lord would have us know from his word, but then also what he would be calling us to do. It's interesting that in chapter 18, it begins with Jesus wanting to teach people to pray and never stop. Okay, so it basically he's, he's got this desire. You know, as a teacher, that's kind of where you begin. It's like, okay, what am I going to teach, right? And then you develop a plan, a lesson, a way in which to communicate that idea, you know, and hopefully you do a good job with that. Well, of course, Jesus is the best teacher, and so he's wanting to teach people to pray, notice, but never to stop praying. And so the, what he does is he gives them a story. He lodges a story in our mind, which as we heard from uh, Dr. Coppedge a couple weeks ago, you know, stories, they stick with us in a different way than propositions do, don't they? You know, somebody can tell you something, but if they tell a story, it's way easier to remember the story, and then you can kind of go from there with the propositions. that makes sense? You know, with the lesson, so to speak. Um, well, Jesus is wanting to teach them to pray and never stop, so he gives the persistent widow story, doesn't he? Which is what you guys covered last week. Pastor Bruce preached on that. The scrappy widow, as he would have it, and, and I think that's exactly right. She's belligerently asking over and over again, for justice, notice. It's not just praying just to pray because we have to check something off a list. But she's praying for justice to be done. And this same term, doesn't it, comes up here again. And also the idea of praying comes up here again. Because now we've got two men that are going up to pray. So you would think it's like, oh, well, maybe he's teaching us two things here in two parables about prayer. Which is, I think, exactly what's going on. The first is that we should keep praying, even if we don't see it answered immediately, we should keep fighting the good fight for what is right in prayer to a good, rather than unjust, a just, good God. And now you got two guys who are going up to pray. And this begins almost like a joke, doesn't it? You know how jokes begin, it's like a lawyer and a preacher go up to the grocery store together, you know. Um, that's kind of how this begins in some sort of stereotypical way. Because a Pharisee was the stereotype of the highest in Jewish society. You know, a Pharisee would have been the one that you would have kind of cleaned up your language around, you know? You wouldn't have wanted to drop those certain terms around them. You want to you be appropriate around them because everything about them would have spoken about their love for God. From the way they dressed, they dressed with basically Christian t-shirts on, except their robes. Exactly what they wore, all the way to what they did, was righteous. It was the right thing to do according to the law. In fact, they had even piled on more laws and regulations in order to keep them, we've talked about this before, 
to, to keep them away from ever even coming close to breaking the law, right? So if, if you weren't to do this one thing, then they put some barriers out there so that even if you broke a couple of those, you still weren't breaking the law of God, which is kind of a, you know, helpful way to do things. And so, so here, this first guy, the Pharisee that we run into, is really representative, stereotypical of the highest of Jewish life. Because guess what? In the ancient world, it definitely is not like this anymore, okay? But in the ancient world, both Hindu world, I mean, all across the world at this point, uh, in the world, uh, really from the Axial Age, which is like the 7th century B.C. on, priests, religious people, they held the highest position in society. So in other words, if you were a religious person, you were the highest position on any sort of hierarchy of society. And, you know, if you're a priest of priests sort of thing, or like a Pharisee here, an expert at the law, and one expert at doing the law as well, I mean, you really, people wanted to be you. I mean, that you were, you were the superstars. In Jewish life, that was who you wanted your son or daughter to be. That's what you wanted them to be. Not a professional, you know, athlete, right? <laughs> like in our society, we flipped it to where now the, the religious people are the lowest of society. And there's reason, lots of reasons for that I won't go into. But then we build up all the way to where entertainment for us is the highest echelon of our hierarchy. Am I right or wrong? In other words, everybody in the ancient world would have known religious people like, oh, yeah, they're the superstars. Man, I wish I could aspire to that. I mean, even the philosophers, right? Like, it's those who are virtuous, those who are moral. But in our world, it's those who entertain us. That's who we know. That's who we wish we were. That's who we secretly wish our kids were, right? I mean, some of us were like, man, I really wish they could get in that lane of professional athlete or YouTuber or whatever, right? I mean, I think we're over now the whole thing about, oh, yeah, that can never happen because it happens all the time. Now, it's still low percentages. I get all that. But in our society, we put at the top entertainment. They put at the top religious, moral rightness and virtue. Completely different world here, okay? So, point being, the Pharisee is stereotypical here in Jesus' parable of the person who's doing the right thing and even, so to speak, doctrinally right, in, in other words, not a heretic. You know, they're not, they're not pagan. Um, but what about this publican? What about this tax collector? <laughs> well, for Jewish life, again, the tax collector, now everybody in the, you know, the Roman world, and some of you know this better than me, but they had to collect taxes, right? Just like any government, okay? But they used local contractors, right? And so they wanted those contractors to be living in that area because Taking up taxes was kind of dangerous because does anybody enjoy giving their taxes? You know? And so in this world, it's not automated, right? I mean, they like show up. You got to show up to them or they show up to your house, this sort of thing. So, they, so the Roman government contracted with people, and they were known as publicans. You've heard this term maybe? This is oftentimes known as the Pharisee and publican. The publican just is a tax collector, so that's how we'll use it. And this publican is Jewish, because he goes up to the temple, and Gentiles were not allowed to go to the temple. And he's going up to pray, okay? So there's a comparison here that both of them are going to pray, the highest in society and the lowest. But this lowest guy, I want you to understand, is really low. Like, he's a low-down, dirty scoundrel, in fact. 
Now, I know after we read the story, you like the publican better than the Pharisee because the Pharisee sounds like a self-righteous prig, which he is. He actually is. But the publican, you wouldn't have liked him either. I'll just be honest with you. You wouldn't have liked him at all. In fact, he made money off the backs of all his neighbors and his friends and his brothers and sisters in the faith. And not only that, he supported the Roman occupation, which Jews believed was unlawful in their area. So whereas we kind of have jokes about lawyers, you know, jokes about politicians because we know they're corrupt and they make a lot of money and they funnel a lot of money and it just seems like a lot of corruption around them, right? We have jokes about them. There's no jokes about publicans. It wasn't a joking matter. They were hated, and that was the end of the story. And yet here this guy is, has the audacity to show up at church, to show up in God's house to pray. And so you can imagine, with that kind of audacity, if you were trying to pray to God, you probably would be thinking about that guy over there. I mean, after all, he is the scum of the earth in their society. He is the lowest of the low And it's known because the only way they could make money was to take it off the top. (laughs) And so the Roman government basically said, hey, we have a quota to meet, but if you go beyond that, that's your own business. Two stereotypical guys go up to the temple to pray. And we're told about the posture of these two, aren't we? Do you find that interesting in the reading? You know, one, they're both standing up, by the way, which is a typical way to pray. Abraham teaches us to pray this way when he stands before God uh, and intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah, actually. So standing and kind of looking to heaven is a typical way. In fact, Paul will say it this way. I wish people lifted holy hands everywhere, which is another way to pray. Just like this, Lord, we need your help, etc. And so both of them standing is not necessarily, uh, that's really something they're both doing. But one is standing far off. He barely makes it into the church, so to speak. And he's looking down and cannot look up to heaven. And he's beating his breast. And it's interesting that the Pharisee, we're told, prays. But the publican just says something here. Notice, he was saying, beating his breast and saying. In other words, it sounds as if he's doing this over and over again, rather than just one time. Now, when you look at the Pharisee's prayer... It is kind of troubling that he's right. (laughs) I mean, he should be thankful to God that he's not like that guy. That dude's a sinner. Like, that dude literally cheats people, and they can't even have, they don't even have enough money for baby formula because he took it, and he already has plenty. Like, that's the kind of guy this dude is. And so he's kind of right about this prayer. He is thanking God, after all, that he's not like other people. I mean, all these things are against the law, right? Thieving, adultery. And not only that, he's, he, he's kind of, um, shoot, I would like to have this dude in the church. <laughs> he gives. Anybody read that, right? In order to operate a church, you've got to be able to do it with money. And this guy, oh, he's systematic about his giving. In fact, the Pharisees, we know, counted their steps on the Sabbath. That's how serious they were about following the law. They didn't just give 10% to God. They, on top of that, then gave 10% to the poor. 
which is why we even today say we're going to take up the Lord's tithe, 10%, and then our offerings, which is above and beyond that. 10% is the ground floor. Above and beyond that is your offering to God. And so not only is he not doing what he shouldn't be doing, which is great, but he's also doing what he should be doing. I mean, as far as a team player goes, that's exactly what you would want, isn't it? If you're a coach, you're like, man, this dude's got it going on. Whereas we know this other guy, he does not. So I just want everything to be clear, because sometimes we read this way. Yeah, what an absolute buffoon to stand before God and say that you're not like other people and be all self-righteous. Like, and, and then what we do is we want to say, yeah, I mean, what an absolute moron here. Um, I'm glad I'm not like him. And then we just make the same mistake, don't we? You see, we then stand up <laughs> and we say, well, I'm glad I'm, God, I'm thankful I'm not like this idiot who thinks he's got it down. No, I don't go to church that often myself, but I have a personal relationship with God. I can figure it out on my own. And we become just as self-righteous in the opposite direction. You see how this works? There's a danger here that sometimes we gloss over and we think we've understood what Jesus is saying here. And in fact, I don't think we've understood it at all. This is about justification. Because notice at the end, one went away justified, the other did not. Could we maybe pause and say this? You can't justify yourself in following the law or in not following the law. Both of those are two ditches of self-righteousness. Only God can make you born again. Born of the Spirit, justified before Him, from sinner to saint. Only God can do that. And it's only by His Holy Spirit that He does that. And it's only by then our trust in the one who has made a way for that to be possible even, who is Jesus Christ. It is only in faith or in trusting, in laying our whole life on Him that this is even possible. This is why, this is why this man's saying, which ultimately is the right way to pray, is correct. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Other than the Lord's Prayer, which we all can recite, more than likely, there's another prayer called the Jesus Prayer. And this is a long-standing prayer in the church, probably introduced somewhere around the 5th century. And it's very simple, but basically from this text that we have before us today. It goes like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. At no point in our walk with God are we finished what I mean by that is, if it's a relationship, how can it ever be finished? Sometimes we speak in terms of, oh yeah, I'm already saved, as if this is a done deal. But the scripture also speaks of salvation as being saved and will be saved. Yes? That's that part where you're like, yes, amen. 
Well, no point, no moment are we without need of his grace, without need of his mercy. And so (laughs) the parable is straightforward, no doubt. Both go up, but only one goes back down off that holy mountain justified. And it's the publican, which should rub us wrongly. Again, God's mercy is given to those that don't deserve it. And if we see ourselves as deserving, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? And so, Jesus will always answer the prayer for mercy. He'll always answer that prayer. You will get mercy. Remember the unjust judge? He withholds this sort of mercy. But Jesus in that parable says, well, listen, God's mercy and justice will come quickly. That might not always be seen out here, but I'm telling you something. In here, you can know today his mercy. You can know today. Today is the day of salvation. (laughs) Will be the way the Bible talks about it. Today. Do not wait a moment longer. His grace His mercy is for you and also for the whole world. So I wonder, Jesus makes this claim, almost his own commentary, interprets interprets here his own parable by saying, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. May I ask you, How do we humble ourselves? (laughs) Sometimes when you pursue something, you lose it. Does this make sense at all? Has anybody ever experienced this? You're looking for happiness. You're wanting to force people to have a good time. Anybody ever tried to do that? You go out to eat in your head, you think, this is going to be wonderful. Going to my favorite restaurant, the kids are going to enjoy the food. It's good food. And the environment's going to be wonderful. You get there and all disaster breaks loose. Yes? Anybody experience this? (laughs) And I mean, you're thinking, why are we even here? Everybody's going to be quiet and have fun. (laughs) Now you can tell I've not just practiced that. I've done it. Can you make people have fun? Can you make people happy? Can you make yourself happy? No. No, sometimes when you pursue something, you lose it. It's interesting. And humility is like this. If you're trying to be humble (laughs) and thinking about being humble, oftentimes what you find is uh, other kind of nasty self-righteousness again. So how do we, but Jesus here says, doesn't he clearly, you need to humble yourself. How can we do that then? And I I think C.S. Lewis has got this right. I mean, he often does. And he, he says this, humility 
trying to find my exact quote here. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Because that's, that's the other thing is we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Paul, you just need to think less of yourself, man. Like, so, so you're good at playing this, but, but you, oh, no, 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 I'm so bad. Anybody ever been around people who are faking that part of it? You know, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't do that very well. And you're like, you're a pro of pros, Right? No, it's not thinking less of yourself in that sense. It's thinking about yourself less. In other words, losing yourself in the moment, in what you're doing, which is kind of what we call ecstasy. You know, really the root word of ecstasy is outside of yourself. And if you actually think about your life, I think you would, if you located those grand moments of your life, if we just could sit down and say, what are some of the best moments of your life? You weren't thinking about yourself in those moments. Something was going on on the field. I mean, I remember one, I was catching, you know, as a, as a little leaguer, right? And, and, and you know, catching's a pretty important job. It was, the, it was a championship game, uh, and we had two outs. We needed one more to win, and so I'm behind the plate, and there's a pop-up. Helmet comes off. I'm doing this number right here, you know, because I got a mitt. You don't want to do this with a mitt, but you want to try to trap it, you know. And, I mean, I caught it. When I caught it, everybody cheered, and all of a sudden my dad ran out, and he picked me up, and he, like, started twirling me around, and everybody kind of came to the middle. And it was one of those moments, you know. Nobody caught it on film, but it's right here. And you know what? I wasn't thinking about my performance or, you know, Boy, I wonder how people are seeing me as I'm looking at this ball. Let me fix my hair here. Okay. No, I was, I, was, I was in the moment, man. And that moment means so much to me because my dad was a part of it. My brother was there. Not doing much out in left field, but he was there. <laughs> my mom was yelling. I could hear her. My team was happy. Like, it was an awesome moment. But I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about myself. I was completely lost. Like me in that moment was far removed. And from making love with your spouse to everything else that matters in life, we cannot be thinking about ourselves. It ruins the moment. And I'm going to tell you something. This right here has ruined so much. When something's happening right in front of us, we're, oh, I've got to make sure I get this just right. And look, I, I get all that. Like, I like to capture things, too. But friends, let's live in the moment sometimes. Focused on others. Focused on the mission at hand. Some sort of cooperative. Something that we get caught up in as brothers and sisters in Knowing what breaks God's heart and doing something about it in our city. Yeah, this has been a long week for me in many regards. It's been half the week down in Montgomery with some awesome people, and then and then the week fell apart later on because of a situation. And you've got weeks like that too. And you've got situations in your life, too, where you're looking at something and thinking, this, that breaks my heart, man. Like, how did you go so wrong? What happened? And most of the time, it's little bitty decisions here and there to think about yourself. 
to promote yourself, to exalt yourself, to put yourself out front in some sort of way. Let me just tell you, when you decide to follow Jesus Christ and say yes to him, not only is the world coming after you and going to get in your way, not only are other people going to be absolutely opposed to it, but your own self will be too. And the enemy of our soul, who's quite sneaky. In other words, he would gladly, the enemy would gladly turn you from cocaine to self-righteous. Doesn't matter to him. You're still on his team if you're serving self. No, when Jesus calls us, he calls us to deny our self, to take up our cross and follow him. Where did he go? To the grocery store? Home to put it up on the wall? No. He got on the cross and died. That's the point. He gave up his life. If we want an example of humility, look to our Lord, who, as the Son of God, emptied himself. You see, so much of life is us trying to fill ourselves with things, isn't it? I mean, even today, I'm going to fill myself with chili. I'm going to do it on purpose. I'm going to do it intentionally. I'm going to do a good job. Truly. Because I'm going to take a nap later, you know? I want to eat so much that I have to take a nap, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's the right place. We like to fill ourselves with all kinds of... And we have to do it every day. We fill ourselves with food. We fill ourselves with drinks and just operate. we got to operate this body. But we also fill ourselves with fame, with a dream with things, experiences, traveling, doing, children. Like, there's so much that we fill our... Can I just say, you don't get to take any of it unless you give it away. If we grasp onto the things of this world, even good things, dear friends, things like going up to the temple to pray becomes a moment of shame for this man because he looks down on someone else down his nose at somebody else. And we, every one of us, if we really could just chat over chili today, could say who it is that we kind of look down on. It might be somebody high in society. It might be somebody low in society. But there are people that rub us the wrong way that we think are wrong. And they are wrong, probably, maybe. But how do we see them? As eaten up with the enemy's tools and mechanisms to try to capture their soul and drag it to hell? Or do we see them as just an idiot? That's the whole thing about that term fool where it says, you know, you're in danger of hellfire if you call your brother. It's saying, he's worthless to me. Is that how we see those people? We should never see any other human being. You just think of the worst type of human being. Most of us would go to Hitler. Everybody in this world would have went to the tax collector. That guy. That's who God wants to show mercy to. That's who he wants us to go to. He wants us to go to the lowest. Because he resists the proud. God resists the proud. 
And so we try to fill ourselves with all these things. But in the end, we don't get to take anything with us but our soul. So what's in your soul? All this stuff, look, I get it. I got 100 billion trillion pictures online somewhere I'll never probably look at. It's hard to even look through them now. I take so many pictures, I don't even want to look through them. I don't get to take all that. But what's in here, this is what I get to take. This is who you are. What's in there? How does it see people? How do you see people? Much less how you treat them. You see, this is not a parable against good works. Let's get that out of our head immediately. No, we should be doing these things. And Jesus would admit as much. He does later in the chapter, in fact, with a rich young ruler who comes next. No, it's not about not doing good works. It's about having the right kind of soul. Because the Pharisees, for Jesus, are known to be whitewashed tombs. And I pray, brothers and sisters, that's not you. I pray it's not me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We can look great on the outside. Like a tomb. I've seen some beautiful ones. Fresh flowers. But what's behind that? What's in there? Dead. You don't have to live like that. Please don't live like that. I think it was Gerald that read the prayer of illumination that says we should receive what God gives us and do it joyfully. Do you find joy in giving other people mercy? Do you find joy in forgiving others when they've wronged you? If there's something in us that turns angry and evil, brothers and sisters, repent with the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. No, we are to empty ourselves. Isn't this what St. Paul says? <laughs> He's just following in the train of Jesus, isn't he? The Son of God emptied himself of all but love and came down to us. In other words, he doesn't walk in the room and say, hey, by the way, I'm God. You see my badge? Got my name tag on today. No. No. In fact, he shies away from ever just point blank, hi, I'm God. Will you bow down right here on the spot? No, that's not the way he does it, is it? Because he's not coercive. He leads with love. I've already told you, you can't make somebody happy. You can't make someone a Christian. As much as I would love to, I would, you know, Shoot, if I could make people do stuff, I'd be doing it all the time. And I'd become tyrannical. You see how this works? Satan would easily move us from one side to the next so long as we're focused on ourself. So what does your week look like? What does your day look like? Is it just all about filling and feeding the machine? Or about emptying out yourself, being poured out as a libation? That, that's the term Paul uses here. He says... He says, look, guys, I'm Timothy. I'm old. He is at this point. This is the last thing he's going to write, period. He's at the end, and he knows it. And he does die right after this. He says, look, I've already been poured out just like this. Filled up to be poured out. Don't you fill up something to pour it out? It's no good just to hang around. You wouldn't want to drink this water, by the way. It's been sitting here all week. I'm seeing stuff floating in here. We need to pour it out anyway. Refill it. This is our Christian life. From week to week, we are filled up so that we can be poured out. 
for others. God has given you what he's given you so you can be emptied out and bless the world around you. What if the world operated like that? Like that's his kingdom and what he says in the Bible is his kingdom has already come and it's going to keep growing until the entire world, heaven and earth are one. We're a part of that as the church. We are kingdom builders. So is that, what, is that what's in here? Because what's in here is going to flow out, isn't it? In action this week. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to be poured out like St. Paul. We need to get in the good fight. Some of us are just on the sidelines. We're just sitting watching life go by. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. We are called to get in the fight. I had a pet rally with my sons last night at like 11 o'clock. I'm like, guys, I'm about sick of it. And I'm talking to myself because I'm the lead one. We're obsessed with entertainment. It literally is what we live for. We do everything else so that we can entertain ourselves to death. And I think Satan just looks at us and he laughs. He's found the one thing that can keep the church stymied in America is entertainment. (laughs) Sounds ridiculous when you look at it, but we love it. We're addicted to it. Can't get enough and you'll never get enough. And look, I like, you said, man, I didn't know we'd come to, come to Team Sunday to get beat up. It's part of the good fight. There's things that are better than winning a game. We're on the winning team, brothers and sisters. And those people out there, by that I just simply mean those who don't know Christ, they need to know Christ. If you've experienced His love, you know. If you've experienced His mercy, you know. If you know His joy... It is a joy that surpasses any experience on this earth that you can manufacture yourself. He is worth it. He is worthy. That's why we should fight the good fight. We should keep the faith. And we should finish the race. Now in with this. A sports analogy, (laughs) no less. I, my first triathlon I did, right, just a little sprint one, so don't think, oh, wow, you just triathlon. Everybody always thinks that. I'm like, you have no idea how ugly it is, you know, <laughs> like for me to do it, right? Uh, it's not impressive. Um, and I did my first triathlon, and so, like, all my kids come. Every subsequent triathlon, by the way, they haven't come. So, or Jessica. Nobody comes anymore uh, to cheer me on. But this first one, I really needed it. And by the way, did you catch Paul? He's like, yeah, nobody came there to stand and cheer for me. But, you know, God, don't hold him against it. Don't hold it against him, you know. Let me tell you something. We've got in our race someone cheering for us. Not only me, not only Pastor Bruce, not only this church, but a cloud of witnesses, don't we, cheering us on. And let me just tell you, in my first triathlon, I got out there and did that swim. And, I mean, I got, I, I walked over to my bike, which was the next leg, right, and because I'd been in the water and I lost all kind of head, I don't know what was going on physically. Somebody else can tell me better. But I wasn't feeling good. And I literally just collapsed at my little bucket where I had all my stuff and my bike. And I thought, oh, why in the world am I doing this? Like, nobody's making me do this, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to call it quits because I don't feel good, you know. <laughs> like, I really didn't feel good. Have you ever felt like that? In your Christian life, why am I doing this? Like, why? I thought if I got on Jesus' team, everything would be perfect. Everything would be happy. But we so easily forget, don't we? 
His calling is a calling to suffer with him. To suffer with him in front of other people to show his glory. And I heard little voices, my, my sons at the time. And they let's go, Daddy. You can do it. Let's go, Daddy. And I mean, I'm about to pass out and throw up at the same time, the way I felt. And so I get up, and I get on my bike. I run over a few cones because I couldn't quite get, my head was over here, and I was going, trying to go over there. It was bad. But I kept going. It was ugly. Um, but I finished, you know? Finished the race. Brothers and sisters, I would truly want nothing more for each and every one of you than to see you cross the finish line. Right into Jesus' arms. But you'll never do that thinking about yourself. Putting yourself first, it's not going to happen. Your feelings will take over. You say, my feelings define everything, and I'm done. I'm done. No, they don't. They don't. There's people cheering for you. You need help? We want to try to help you. It's the whole reason we exist at Harvest Point. We're an outpost in the kingdom trying to turn the world upside down. Doesn't look like it most days. <laughs> Doesn't look like it. So much resistance. But you know what? God is on our side, and we already know we won. Already know we won. <laughs> it's like recording a game and accidentally knowing, oh, man, I saw that final score. You can go back and watch it. But you know what? We won. We're going to win. It's going to be worth it. So I just say in closing here, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is most merciful. Amen.